Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Tuesday morning. And uh, we have uh, Gary Stead coming with uh, to us from uh, Scotland. He's over there with the Black Caps, of course, about to start a, a mini-series uh, against their side. Uh, they've got a bit of turmoil going around at the moment too with their board just resigning the other day. Uh, so we'll talk to Gary about the cricketing side of things. We shall uh, have uh, a couple of clips uh, coming in as well about uh, Kevin Proctor uh, being axed over the vaping video. That's an interesting one. Talk back at this stage is on hold. We'll let you know about that, but um, give you an update closer to 9.30. Uh, 10 o'clock. One of the greats of all time in terms of race calling, Greg Miles, uh, former Melbourne Cup caller, of course, based out of uh, Victoria, so did the, that, that circuit. But, yeah, sure, Greg Miles, 36 Melbourne Cups he called in that career. So uh, we shall be uh, talking to uh, him about his career uh, and about the Cup this year. Mark Watson and Jamie Wall uh, at 10.20 or just after will be the panel this morning. Um, we have uh, a chance to catch up with Louis Herman Watt and uh, I think Paul Mawadi from the TAV at some point. And then after 11 o'clock, uh, an interview with Jacob Ratcliffe that we will play. Now, Jacob Ratcliffe has just uh, signed with the Quad City Storm in the Southern Professional Hockey League, making him the first Kiwi to reach that level of professional ice hockey in North America. So we'll catch up with him. Uh, now, uh, an idea for you for uh, Mount Rushmore today being Tuesday. Uh, your famous, uh, famous, favourite, fam- most famous or favourite, favourite, either way, uh, Commonwealth Games moments involving New Zealanders. Uh, love to hear that double eight double three is our text line for that. Double eight double three, those uh, moments that you remember from the Commonwealth Games, bearing in mind opening ceremony uh, this Friday, New Zealand time. So yeah, quite a busy show. Looking really looking forward to talking to uh, Greg Miles as well. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, the Manly Seagulls jersey scandal could be a test case going forward for the world of sponsorship and awareness, or it could just be a big fat storm in a teacup. Over the years, many examples of teams covering up logos have been seen, or not, as is your preference. The Portland Thorns women's football team last year covered their principal logo with tape after stories of fraud and possible rape surrounded their major sponsor at the time. The all-powerful U.S. women's football team took the field for warm-ups against the match against Japan a couple of years ago with their shirts worn inside out as a protest about inequality issues from the U.S. Soccer Federation. It seemed to work. Look where they are now in the pecking order. And high-profile basketballs, ballers have been nabbed covering up Nike logos because they are sponsored by other gear companies. Talking the big boys here too. Well, remember playing for teams sponsored by breweries alongside players who didn't drink, or those sponsored by tobacco companies with those who couldn't abide smoking. 
No great rigmarole, no tape over the logos. Just happy to take the sponsorship and the prize money as well. There are so many moral issues creeping in to take the knee or not as a classic one of personal choice. The majority do for reasons known only to themselves and that is fine. I wonder how many do because there's a whole lot less fuss than if you don't. Truth is, it takes individuals to make a team and individuals will have differing beliefs, some religious, some moral. Seems a bit odd in this case when a group won't wear a jersey for social issues but will happily wear the same one that supports gambling. Hardly popular, you would imagine, in some religions or cultural societies. Give them the two options then. It's a one-off game and just get on with it. Manly Rugby League fans will front up this weekend to watch their team win regardless of what they're wearing and you know that is the truth. Nine oh seven here, New Zealand time, and uh, yesterday the Black Caps named their squad to tour the West Indies for the first time since two thousand and fourteen. It sees a return to the full strength side with Captain Kane Williamson back in the mix, along with strike bowlers Tim Southey and Trent Bolt, and with Ben Stokes recently retired from One Day International. It brings into question whether One Day International uh, cricket has the legs to survive as a player welfare and load management becomes a concern with T Twenty and Test cricket to prepare for as well. Uh, online now from Scotland is Black Caps head coach uh, Gary Stead. Morning to you Gary and New Zealand time. Good evening over there. Yeah, good day, Smithy. How's things? Yeah, we're pretty good over here mate. Uh, you're missing a really rough spell of weather, I can promise you that. So uh, I don't know what it's like in Scotland at the moment, but it's uh, got to be better than here. Yeah, a little bit rough today, Smithy. We've had to uh, cancel training with, with wet weather, but hopefully it looks better for the for later in the week when we've got our three matches coming up here. And uh, great news uh, yesterday too, Gary, uh, on the basis that you, you were able to name a full-strength side, refresh side, to go to the West Indies for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it's been eight years since we've been there, um, so certainly a long time between drinks. Um it's exciting to, to get a, a number of, I guess, our, our frontline guys back and um, they're excited to, to get back into some white ball cricket and you just alluded to it earlier around, I guess, the Ben Stokes um, retiring from ODIs as such and it, it's something that I think is prevalent in the modern game, just the, I guess, pure amount of cricket that is is there and how we as, I guess, coaches and, and as management boards, I guess, manage the loads of our players going into the future. And I, I see Usman Khawaja, of course, Australian uh, opening batsman, has come out and said he believes that uh, there's a danger that uh, one-day international cricket, another the 50-over version, may be dying out. I find it hard to believe on the uh, success of the last one but uh, and the fact that the next one's in India, but uh, do you see that a possibility, Gary? Mm, I don't know, to be honest. I, I, I personally really like the one-day format still. I, I think it's a great mix of a little bit of uh, test match cricket at times where you do have to grind out some tough periods and also the excitement of um, T20 cricket. And, and I think the skills of T20 cricket has made probably ODI scoring go to another level again and you're going to see, I think, more excitement. And as, and as you say, especially with India hosting the next World Cup, um, I, I hope it's not um, certainly a dying art. I, I think it's a great game to still be part of. How closely do you uh, get alongside your players? Um, do, you, do you leave it up to them? Is it a two-way conversation when you talk about av av um, availability and rest periods? Uh, it's definitely a two-way conversation. Um, 
I, I think sometimes the trick is trying to get in uh, or people reach that point of, of burnout um, because once you've reached that, it's too late and it usually takes lo- longer. But certainly for me, uh, I try and open up conversations with players if I suspect people may uh, need a little bit of a break. Um, and that's, that's players and staff around it uh, because at the end of the day, I think the freshness in our big world events is the things that can actually give you a slight advantage as well. And um, as I said earlier, the, uh, with COVID times, what's happened is we're seeing, I guess, a lot more cricket played in a short amount of time to try and make up for that that's been missed. And it, it's, a, it's a trend I just think we have to be careful of. Um, we want players in New Zealand to play for as long as they can. I mean, it that, that we've got some of our great players, I think, playing in, in this era right now, and we don't want to cut their careers short um, through overloading them too early. And then I, I guess I, I've, I've written down five names here, um, Southie, Bolt, Williamson, Guptill, Henry. Uh, players in that bracket too, we're, we're starting to consider longevity as well as freshness. Um, yeah, look, I mean, none of those players have come to me and said, hey, I don't want to play any formats of the, the game at all. And I think that's that's good. Um, but what, what we do have conversations about is, is how we can manage it so it's sustainable for them in the long period. And, and that's the most important thing is we get that balance right. And it's hard, I think, for, for the public and, and, and punters to understand that. Um, I, I know everyone lo- would love the chance of just playing one game for New Zealand, but think uh, when you do think of the loads of these guys and then couple that with um, wanting them to be mentally ready and rearing to go every single day then it's then it's a balancing act and, and it's something that's uh, I think will be a continual work on. Okay uh, we'll, we'll stay with the West Indies squad uh, briefly. Uh, nine from the last final to Australia in terms of T20 cricket are in the squad so you've got great continuity going forward. Uh, that T20 World Cup's not far away Gary so one of the last opportunities I guess to get things right before a squad naming uh, how close are you to finalizing within your own thinking yeah I think we're getting pretty close now um, the these matches that are on over here as well um, in, in Ireland Scotland Netherlands also provide us uh, I, I guess looking at, at how we will balance up that squad of, of 15 and, and I suspect over the next few games as well you might see some slightly different things that, that, that will just help us come to that final decision. But, yeah, I think we are getting getting pretty close. As you say, we've got the West Indies games and, and basically that after that we won't have any more time um, or matches to, to ultimately look at who will be in that T20 squad. So it is, it is I guess, just around the corner. So those those areas perhaps may be the top of the, top of the order. Um, you know, the, the likes of... Uh, Perhaps a Finn Allen in there. Uh, you've still got, uh, of course, the Martin Guptill option. You've had the Daryl Mitchell option, which you've used uh, well in the past. So, uh, and, and the Conway one as well. So there's plenty of options around the top of the order for, in that particular squad. Yeah, there is. And, and that's something that um, is, it, again, trying to strike that right balance of who, who are the right people and, and, and how you balance out your squad so you do have options in case of an injury. And when you look at, um, I guess, naming a squad of 15, then it's not just the playing 11 you look at, it's then who can cover bases. So you, if you have a, an injury to a major player or any player, who replaces them and what's that order look like? So I think it's it's one of the things that's exciting me around the versatility of some of the players that are coming through is it looks as though 
Um, they have the ability, and Mitchell's probably a good example of someone who, who was guess, thrown in the deep end at the last T20 World Cup in a position that was a little bit foreign to him, but, but came out, I guess, smelling of roses as well in the way that he played for us. The three one-days, uh, one-day internationals against the West Indies are significant because they are effectively qualifiers. How are, how are we currently placed in terms of the qualifying side of things? Uh, we're going well at the moment. Um, we've played a lot less than other teams, so uh, I think we've played nine games and we're unbeaten at this stage. Um, but we do have a number of, uh, I guess, more tier one nations that that we need to play in the near future. So West Indies, to me, are uh, an unpre- unpredictable side. They they can be brilliant on, on some days and, and not so good on others, and I think that's what does make them dangerous, and you have to make sure that you prepare well. But they are, I guess, in the, the next World Cup qualifying game still, so they're, they're very important to us. Gary, the recent uh, Irish series was uh, very, very competitive at times, I've got to say, and uh, barring some brilliance from a couple of individuals, we might have uh, dropped a couple of those. What were the pleasing aspects that uh, came out of it from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, we were, were, I guess, giving a number of guys a break, and and that always provides that chance that you you may get tipped up. And the Irish are very competitive, and we knew that right from the start, but... You go through and you look at, uh, I guess, Michael Bracewell's continued, um, I guess, dominance in the way he's he's entered the white ball game in particular. Um, that I, I thought the hundred that that he scored in the in the first ODI there to get New Zealand home was a was a pretty special hundred. And from number seven as well, you don't see that very often. Um, he showed very very good composure throughout. Um, I think Glenn Phillips keeps developing as well and played a couple of really important innings through the, the T20 series. Um, he's a dynamite uh, in, in the field and, and, and fantastic to watch. Uh, I think when you when you see the, the speed that he has and what he can do, it just adds that element of excitement to it. But for us on the whole, I mean, we're excited about the, the guys that are coming through. Um, again, I'll reiterate, you, you, I think it's going to be hard to see a, a very best... Um, 11 out there every single day. So for us, keeping developing these guys and, and seeing how they respond to the pressures of international cricket is really important. Are you expecting more of the same uh, against Ireland and the Netherlands, competitive as such? Um, yes, I am. I, I think uh, being that we've done very well in white ball cricket recently, then then we become, I guess, more of a target to other teams as well. And um, whilst at this stage we haven't been upset by, I guess, a, an associate member nation at this stage, it, it will happen at some stage. And it's, I guess it's the thing that does motivate you to make sure that hopefully it's not on your watch that that happens as well. So, um, and, and I think the other thing is the, the guys here are excited to play for New Zealand as well. And I think any opportunity you do get that, you, you show the opposition the respect that they deserve and you go out there and you play as well as you can. Just looking at that uh, West Indies squad for a second and, and looking at the wicket-keeping side of things, I, I'm looking through the squad and I don't see a, an absolute standout specialist wicket-keeper, which, is, you know, in effect, is his primary job in the side. Is that a reflection of the way the game is going or are you just confident in the, I think, one, two, three guys, Conway, Latham, Phillips, that you think can do a job for you there? Yeah, well, Tom, Tom Latham, I, I guess, has been the... Uh, um, Heir apparent, I guess, or the guy that's been there um, for a long, long time now in the one-day side. Uh, hasn't been part of the T20 squad, but um, we'll see how that pans out. Conway's a guy that did it at the last World Cup. 
Uh, um, Allen's another guy that, that's done a little bit for Wellington. So I don't I don't expect Len Phillips will do it. I think he's becoming too valuable in the field and, and with the ball occasionally. But there are other options there that can do it. Okay, let's uh, can we just reflect a, a little bit, uh, Gary? I haven't had a chance here to talk to you uh, about that uh, wonderful series. I mean, it didn't, wasn't wonderful in terms of the result, but the type of cricket that was played and the competitive nature of the series against England was outstanding. And I, I just wrote down this question Do we have to sit back now and reassess how Test cricket is going to be played, or is this English performance and attitude at the moment just like a rogue wave coming through? It's a really good question, um, and I think maybe we'll know more of that in 24 months or so, or a bit, little bit further down the track, um, when they've, they've played more cricketers. Well, there's no doubt that they had a couple of outstanding performers in that series. I thought Joe Root uh, and Johnny Bearstow in particular, with the bats, tried to take the game away from us, and they were successful. Um, look, I, I, I think you have to to have players that have the personalities and, and I guess ability to play that way and, and I think maybe what's happened is that, that some of their potential that was in that England team has been unlocked and, and I guess that's exciting for world cricket as well but it'll make everyone sit up and just watch and have a think about how we play too. It's interesting and it's exciting I guess because if, if they have a, an attitude and other sides do where a draw is basically off the table I guess it brings the possibility of more wins and if you're uh, defending that to- that chasing total as well. So if, if you know their attitude is going to be consistent and they're not fooling you with that attitude and they're going to go to the death, man, we're going to see some cricket, aren't we? Absolutely. And I think we saw some cricket in those three tests as well. I, I still, I guess, maintain that we had an opportunity going into the last day in all three test matches. And um, I, I think back to, for example, the last session at, at Trent Bridge and any, any test match that goes into the last session with all three results still on the table is a, is a great test match. And Johnny Besto hits the first one up or, or nicks the first one. It might have been a very different result. But he, he, he rode his luck. He, he played in excellent innings. And as you say, Smithy, if, if test cricket is going to be played this way, then, then I think we are going to have it for an exciting time. And, and that's great for the game too. It is actually, um, you know, and it's also <clears throat> interesting tactically. I mean, uh, England, for instance, have won all four chasing. Uh, how would they go defending? I mean, you know, all those sorts of things come in into the equation. I, I would imagine. Absolutely, and and how do they go in in different conditions as well? When the ball bounces more or spins more, um, so yeah, I, I think I think there's all those things that that come into it, and again. I guess time will, will be the factor that will tell us whether this will continue to be um, successful. But I have no doubt under under Brendan and, and Ben that they're going to keep playing this way. So um, that's the, the, I guess the proof will be in the pudding over a longer period of time. Gary, one of the other issues, of course, is, is um, development of, of our all-round game as such, the ability to play in all uh, areas of the world, which means... Uh, looking at uh, the way we prepare sides and prepare players in particular throughout our domestic and, and international competitions here at home. Uh, is that something you constantly monitor? And, and you know I'm obviously talking about the spin bowling side of things uh, as well primarily when I talk that. Yeah, um, look, I mean, I think that's part of the um, the programming of things like New Zealand A cricket. Uh, we need to try and keep finding opportunities that we can play in different conditions regularly. Um, one of the things I guess I've observed over the last four or five years is I think the the 
players that we have in New Zealand are absolute top quality in terms of the evenness of them. And, and when we go around to different places in the world, we're seeing deterioration and a lot faster. And maybe that's just a climate thing with what we do. But I don't think we can be scared in New Zealand to, to play on different surfaces. And, and that will bring spin bowling, for example, back onto the table a lot more in New Zealand. Look forward to it. Okay, Gary, um, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, I think it's, uh, what, Thursday afternoon, your time. Uh, the Grange Club in Scotland, uh, game one in the uh, the series against Scotland. Incidentally, I've just got a text in uh, Michael Rippon. Are we going to see him at some stage? Uh, I think you will see him in, at some stage in the next uh, wee while. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if all 15 people here don't, don't have a little bit of a, a run-around part of what we are here to do on this tour is to... I guess finalise those spots, but also uh, for the World Cups, but also make sure uh, that if we do have injuries, we have other people that have been exposed at this level. So, um, yeah, looking looking forward to to seeing Michael when he does get a get a run. All good. Thanks very much for answering uh, all those questions, and good luck uh, in the series coming up. Thanks, Billy. Cheers, mate. Cheers, uh, Gary Stead there uh, from Scotland. Yes, uh, that game will be interesting um, and, of course, uh, a chance for further development of some of our uh, younger talent um, is uh, is there and, of course, that West Indies side, which is shaping up now, if you look at it uh, very closely, very close, very, very close to the one that we'll take to Australia for the T20 World Cup. It's 9.24 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.29 here on SENZ. And just a note about our phones at the moment. Uh, if you have got um, uh, WhatsApp, if you've got WhatsApp, please text us. If you want to call us, text us uh, in this morning, Dino or, or um, Zaid or whoever, uh, anyone that wants to join in. If you've got WhatsApp, text us that you'd like us to call and we'll call you back if you've got a point to make at the moment it's hard for us to get uh, phone lines normal phone lines up on the board and get them to air so uh, if you've got a point that you want to make this morning and we invite you to because that chemist warehouse voucher is up for grabs um, you can still do it if you've got whatsapp text us your number and uh, our guys will get back to you so we can get you up on air um, other than that, uh, we've got uh, uh, the other thing going today in terms of our Mount Rushmore. Um, we have got uh, you to text us in on double eight double three. That's the number. Favorite Commonwealth game moments that you can recall? Great performances, funny moments, whatever. Uh, the top uh, four, if you've got them, uh, just one or two, if you like. Uh, Jeff, the reference has come in this morning and it's already and said Dick Taylor, ninety seventy four, ten thousand meters gold winning performance. Uh, he says, I'm getting choked up as a proud Kiwi, even thinking about that day. Uh, look, Jeff, you're not alone. You're not alone. He may or may not be in my top four, I can promise you that. It is 9.30 now, and it's time to take a news break here with Aroha. here on SENZ, so uh, we haven't had any texts uh, come through yet. We can't get your phones to uh, air directly, so if you want to text in on double eight double three and give us uh, a WhatsApp number, then absolutely uh, we'll call you back and give you the opportunity to uh, have your say this morning for that chemist warehouse voucher. A number of texts uh, also coming in. Morning, Smithy. Can you ask uh, Gary, Gary Stebb, what's Doug Bracewell done wrong recently to... Not be selected, please. Uh, cheers, Graham from uh, Marlborough, formerly from Northland. Well, uh, Graham, 
I don't think he's done too much wrong. It's just the case uh, that we've got a wealth of uh, that kind of player around at the moment. I mean, he's a gifted cricketer, Doug. He has been for a long period of time, and he's done wonderful things for New Zealand when given the opportunity. Uh, but uh, at, at the moment, if you look at our uh, fast bowling stocks, if you look at them in that regard, then uh, we've got a lot, um, you know, with the likes of uh, Lockie Ferguson and, and Alex, um, Alex uh, Milne coming in, Adam Milne coming back in. Of course, he's injured at the moment. Then you've got Kyle Jameson. You've got your three or four big boys, Henry. Uh, you've got Wagner. You've got Southie. You've got Bolt. It's pretty hard to force your way into that. They, uh, the likes of Jacob Duffy has seemed to go on ahead of Doug Bracewell. So he's now, according to... The, the number of sides he gets selected for, obviously, a long, long way back in the queue. So uh, for Doug and uh, Doug Bracewell fans, I'm not quite sure we'll see him again. I know that uh, locally here in Hawke's Bay, Dougie's uh, taking up a, a plumbing apprenticeship, I believe. So uh, he's looking to put his life uh, after cricket into a different direction. But a fine young cricketer and the fact that Doug Bracewell can't make the group uh, for any of these competitions, I think, outlines uh, the strength that we've got in those areas. Uh, my favourite Commonwealth Games moment was when one of the Khan bowlers, Millie Khan probably, had lost a granddaughter or daughter and went out and won a medal. Gutsy stuff, yeah, I quite remember what a wonderful bowler Millie Khan was. Just absolutely outstanding. A great representative uh, of our country. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, terrific Commonwealth Games performances and I'm, I'm really confident that uh, in about two weeks' time we'll be uh, revelling in the fact that there'll be some wonderful ones uh, for us coming up in Birmingham, our, our teams are so strong. I was reading an interesting article yesterday by uh, Angela Walker about a, a lady by the name of Gladys Pigeon, who is our first ever Commonwealth Games woman competitor. Now, Gladys Pigeon um, was unique in that uh, when it came to her being uh, part of the Commonwealth Games team, of course, way back then uh, it was uh, almost frowned upon that you could have uh, a, a woman competing uh, at that level and so there was all sorts of rigmarole about getting uh, her uh, picked in the first place Gladys Pigeon and then of course she uh, made the team travelled all the way had to have her mother it was unacceptable to think that she could travel uh, all that way to the Commonwealth Games without with a whole bunch of men of course the team was dominated by men um, and you could not expect that she would be able to travel to the Commonwealth Games by herself so uh, they had to beg, borrow and steal money on the basis that um, she was uh, able to travel with her mother. Her mother went uh, as uh, a chaperone, really. So th those all sorts of issues. And now the, uh, the reason I bring that up is um, this team, I think, has got more women than men. This, this particular Commonwealth Games team uh, has got more women than men competing. And, of course... Uh, they're going to be a, a dominant factor in there now. Uh, yesterday, um, we, we haven't, we're having real trouble getting calls up, so at this stage we won't be able to. But what we can do is uh, replay an interview from yesterday, uh, and that is when uh, Ricardo Ball uh, caught up with the, the latest signing, exciting signing for the Phoenix. And joining us uh, from Iceland is the latest signing for the Wellington Phoenix women's team, all white, oh, I was going to say all white, football fern, let me get that right, Betsy Hassett. Jeez, what a way to start, Betsy, sorry about that. <laughs> no way. Okay, welcome to the welcome to the show and congratulations on signing with the Knicks and uh, heading back home. Thank you, yeah, it's really exciting. What was the uh, thing, you know, that really tempted you to come back? I mean, I know you've been in Europe for, what, over 10 years playing, so why come back to New Zealand now? Uh, well, I've always wanted to play in New Zealand, so this is just 
a dream come true that there's finally a, a professional women's team based in New Zealand. Um, but it's perfect timing, really, with the World Cup coming up next year in New Zealand and Australia. So um, it just seems like the greatest opportunity ever. So um doing it. Yeah, I mean obviously last year it was a team that was put together in a hurry and it was a very young team but it's already starting to take a, a different shape, isn't it, with the likes of yourself and, and Paige Satchel involved. Obviously, Lily's been re-signed as, along with a couple of younger players as well. What were those conversations like with Gemma and the club? I mean, what what were the things that you wanted to hear from them about what they were building? Um, I just, I'm super glad that um, they're keeping the the main core of the team because they did fantastically last year um, such a young group of girls and all really good players so um, it's really cool that they're building on that and um, yeah they just wanted to add a couple couple more players with a little bit more experience which is something that I can offer myself um, and yeah so I think we could we have a really good chance of doing well this season with, with the young girls that we have and, and also just adding a few experienced players I think we have a really good chance of doing well do, How much of the Phoenix uh, did you get to see last season? Um, I didn't get to watch any full matches but I've seen some highlights and things um, and yeah so it, it was something that I was like oh this is I didn't think that they would do as well as they did and, and so it's a such a cool thing that finally that we have this team and they're building on it and want to do well and are bringing in players so that we can do better in the league and so it's a really great opportunity and something that I am super excited to experience. Yeah, well, I mean in terms of what you, you, your role will be within the team, I mean how did those conversations go with Gemma and, and where do you expect to uh, spend the most uh, your most minutes? Uh, I think um, just been playing abroad for so long, I have the experience now, so I'll bring that and um, hopefully be playing in the midfield. Um, that's my preferred position. Um, and also, I think I think I can bring a more of a leadership role now that I'm probably going to be the oldest on the team, getting getting old now, so I can definitely take up that sort of role in the team if that's something that they they need, which is probably what they do. I mean, we've seen you play obviously over over a hundred times for the football ferns, and you've done that in several different positions. You know, you can play the box to box role, can't you? The eight, but you can also play as a six. Um, have you had conversations with Gemma about uh, which of those two roles she sees you sitting in more than the other? Um, no, we haven't actually discussed that completely yet. But um, hopefully, be somewhere in the midfield. But as you say, I've played in a lot of different positions. But I've, yeah, number eight, number six, number ten. I can also play out wide. I play out wide for my club here in Iceland. So um, I'm quite versatile. So I'm, I enjoy switching it up sometimes, even even doing that. So um, we'll see what we're, we're best fit in the team. Yeah, I, I suppose it depends on the rest of the recruitment to a, to an extent as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you saw you, you saw some of the highlights from last season. Where do you think uh, the A-League sits in comparison to, say, the level you're playing at in Iceland? Um, I think it might, might be pretty similar. The, um, it looks like it's quite fast, a fast um, speed of play there, um, but the game here is that I'm at the league and now is actually pretty technical and for such a small country, it's um, a really good league and really competitive league here, so I'm 
uh, I fit well here and I'm assuming I hopefully I can do the same thing in the A-League. Um, it looks like it wouldn't be too much different, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, you've played, you know, all around Europe, haven't you? You've played at Manchester City, at Werder Bremen, at Ajax, and obviously you're in Iceland at the moment. Uh, so this move home, it is a one-year deal. Do you see, uh, would you like to stay longer? Would you like to extend that contract? Or do you think you'll go back to Europe um, after the World Cup? Uh, I think I will have to come back to Iceland after the the next season because um, I have another contract with my club here. So I'm basically just going on loan for for this season. Um, but I, yeah, I'm just going to see how it goes. Maybe I'll love it, and then of course I'll want to keep keep playing and maybe sign my year. But we'll just see how it goes. I think. Yeah, quality. I mean, how did the move come about uh, for you to to come home and play for the Knicks? And how much did it have to do with uh, Yitka Klimkova and New Zealand football? Uh, I just kind of thought about it a month ago when we were on tour uh, with the fans, and I wanted to just focus more on my football. Um, because here in Iceland, I, I'm working full time as well, which is quite quite busy. Mm. Um, so I was thinking that this would just be a great opportunity and perfect place and timing to to play for the Phoenix, live in New Zealand, and um, make myself as ready as possible I can for the World Cup next year. It's going to be great to just be in New Zealand and at home and get used to the environment again and play with some teammates in my team. Is going to be really helpful for us. With the yeah, definitely helpful going forward. You, you mentioned you're working full time in Iceland. Uh, coming back here, are you? Uh, I mean, I don't want to don't want to talk numbers, Betsy, but uh, you know, is it is it uh, fruitful enough for you not to have to work full time? Can you concentrate purely on your football when you come back to play for the Knicks? Uh, yes, I'll, I'll just be playing football when I'm back in New Zealand. Um, uh, I mean, I could probably because we'll have half of the day probably training, and, and then I could get something alongside it if I wanted but I think I'll just use that time to focus on football um, which is which is doable probably only just but um, that's something that's good that's, that's great I can do that and not be losing any money so that's um, yeah I'm really happy about that yeah I mean it's, uh, it's it's good that you can come home and and play professional football here and you know feel like you're in a more comfortable position potentially than than you know playing pro overseas is that something that you think might appeal to a few other players as well Oh yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, uh, hopefully, the game will just grow more and more because, um, I mean, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for girls to be able to do that if they want, and that's something that when I was little, I I wanted to do, and I had to go abroad to do it. And now it's um, now it's available in New Zealand. It's so good for the younger girls to have this to aspire to, and 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 it's possible to do so that's great for them to see and hopefully that continues to grow the game in New Zealand Summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ in 9.49 and due to the wonders of modern technology that uh, phones are actually working these days that uh, we've been able to get Neville Neville uh, on the line good morning to you Nev good morning Smithy <laughs> You'll be very it's, pleased, I guess, that um, the Black Caps uh, will be able to watch them, I guess, when they go to the West Indies. Is that correct? I hope On so. Sky? I haven't heard. I haven't heard the actual. Uh, I would imagine that's the case. I, I haven't know. Don't know if Sky have actually been promoting that, but uh, if that is the case, normally yeah. Sky do have uh, quite a lot of access out of West Indies cricket. So, 
hopefully that is the yeah. case, mate. So I look forward to following that. Uh, I, was, I was hoping you were going to ring because I uh, about the LIV golf because uh, an issue has come up now, which is going to become more prevalent with LIV golf unless they increase the numbers in the field. Players that initially went over for, and helped Greg Norman out to make up the numbers are getting dropped off at a, a rate at the people that keep coming in to sign. The high-profile guys come in, the guys that set it up in the first place, there's no room for them anymore. What's going to happen there? Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. Have you heard something? Um, has anything come out on that? Or There's been that nine, golfers, nine, nine golfers, uh, not great names in golf, obviously, that part of the first tournament who will not be ex- uh, accepted in the field for the next tournament. So, you know, there is there is a bit of a gamble. Well, there is, but I think what's happening is um, if they don't sign a contract, they are merely, it's like, you know, you just, you're invited, not, yeah, I'm trying to think how it was put. One of the young guys who played early on, one of the um, Australian Youngsters, he said, um, because he was not yet uh, professional, I think it was, and he was he played in the major, but he said because he hadn't made a change, he could go over and play in it. And I suppose those sort of players, if they're not contracted, are the ones that they can exclude. Um, that's my my reading of it. But they will have a problem, no doubt, if they had. Um, you know, 48 top players, and um, then they'll have to do something. What I have no idea. But um, what I have um, just recently, uh, remember Tony Jacklin? I do remember Tony Jacklin, yep. Yeah, well, he was a big name, and he's very worried. He just thinks this could be, you know, huge repercussions for the Ryder Cup. He, he just feels there's too much, too much happening, and there's too many players have moved, and he he just feels um, the Ryder Cup um, is now really threatened um, long term because he says every, everybody's affected by the situation. He said they've got about two fifty days until the Masters, the next major to sort it all out. And he says, who's going to be allowed to play in, in these events going forward? And he says to survive, to resolve it, and, and Ernie L says the same thing, um, they've just got to sit down. He says the Saudis need to be permitted to run their tour alongside the existing environment. And I would have to agree with that. It's the only way they're going to solve it is if they work together and um, allow this other thing to exist I agree, it's going to have to work uh, they're going to have to sit around a table very quickly and it will be, as you say before the Masters, it seems quite a long time to get some sort of um, you know, some sort of compatibility about the whole deal, uh, but the Ryder Cup's a massive one, and Hendrik Stenson of course, uh, leaving um, that job uh, without any choice, really, once he made the decision to go, um, the RNA said, well, I'm afraid we can't have you. Uh, it's as simple as that. So uh, right now, you think the, 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 the line in the sand is a very, very deep one, and it's going to take a bit of filling in, one thinks. It's 9.53. Thanks for your call, Neville. Uh, we'll be back very shortly with a multi, and then after that, 
Um, pleased to say we've got Greg Miles, legendary race caller, already poised in the studio. Can't wait to talk to him. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.59 here on SENZ. And Chicago Cubs to beat to the Pittsburgh Pirates today at $1.69. The San Diego Padres to beat the Detroit Tigers at $1.60. And in uh, women's tennis, uh, Sarah Arani to beat Arantxa Roos at $2. So uh, a $5.40 return. That's our multi for the day. Incidentally, yesterday we were going really well. The Mets beat the Padres quite easily. Malaika Mahambo, absolutely impressive to win uh, the World Championship women's long jump. She was magnificent, to be fair. Uh, and Elise Mertens to beat uh, Lynette. That uh, didn't happen last night. That was a $1.38 shot. And Elise Mertens got beaten in three sets. So uh, we missed out there. So the Cubs, the Padres into Sarah Arani today. Uh, and that will net us $5.40 if it is successful, and it's about time we had one that was. The good news is we've got Greg Miles straight after this uh, news break, uh, legendary race caller. Fantastic. Look forward to it. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. behind those horses now as they come down the straight was Vinny Rowe and back behind them here's McIvy Diva a nation roars for a hero she's starting to wind up 300 left to go now McIvy Diva's racing up Envoy's trying to go with her they've got to Portland Singer and Lachlan River here comes like a Pelford and excellent but McIvy Diva clear with 100 metres to go excellent runs to second Olajun runs on but a champion becomes a legend McIvy Diva has won it from either Olajun Excellent. Oh my God, if you're anything like a racing fan, does that not just make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? That great call from Greg Miles back in 2005 when Maccabi Diva won her third consecutive Melbourne Cup. Think about that. It's so hard to win once, to win it three times in a row. Part of the distinguished career of Greg Miles, uh, who uh, joins us uh, now live in studio. It is an honour to have you, sir, uh, in our country. Uh, it's not that far away, the 1st of November, when it is uh, the Melbourne Cup this year. Um, Greg, uh, what are you doing in the country? Welcome. G'day, Ian. It's really nice to be in the studio with you, and it's uh, great to be back in New Zealand. I, I was here about five years ago and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, uh, take in a, a meeting with George Simon, the, the great caller, and uh, visit Cambridge Start and uh, what have you. So it was, a, it was terrific uh, to, to be back, and, and of course, with the, uh, spending an evening uh, unforgettably with uh, David Ellis and his beautiful wife, Karen. So uh, they're fond memories, but I'm back in the, in the country this time around uh, as part of the Melbourne Cup Tour, the Lexus Melbourne Cup Tour and uh, it's great to be back in New Zealand again after having a couple of years off with COVID. We're back on the road and, and the Melbourne Cup uh, is is back uh, meeting the people if you like uh, Ian and uh, it's going to visit 33 destinations uh, across Australia, New Zealand and Singapore and it's really fantastic to uh, to have it on the road again. It is, Greg. That is great news. Uh, it is a, a timely reminder that it's uh, the race itself is not too far away. Of course, the first Tuesday in November coincides with being the first of November this time around. Yeah. Uh, look, you've had one of the, the greatest histories of, of calling this of uh, of any caller. I mean, uh, the race for so long was just uh, your name was synonymous with it, uh, Greg. 
Uh, can you remember your first one? That, that very first day you fronted up with 100-odd thousand people on course? Yeah, I was uh, frightened as a little kitten uh, back in 1981, I've got to say, Ian. Justin Ash uh, won the Melbourne Cup. Um, probably not my finest call, I'd have to say, uh, but I had another 35 after that to try and uh, to <laughs> get it right, you know. Uh, and I, I recall when I took over from uh, the legendary Joe Brown, who, who called the Melbourne Cup from 1948 to 1980, I said, gee, you've been lucky you've had all these great champions you've been able to call and I wonder what's going to be left for me and he said I oh, don't worry son something will come along and you know look what look what's happened in the 36 years that I called the Melbourne Cup I think we saw some of the the greatest uh, Melbourne Cup performances including what you mentioned before the, the three-peat of the great Maccabi Diva which uh, I think we're very fortunate that we were born in an era when we could take it in and, and be there and, and, be, and witness history like that you know. Well, Greg, uh, one of the cups you caught early on in their career, of course, uh, is Kiwi, yeah. uh, which is uh, probably New Zealanders' greatest memory because of the name of the horse. I, I imagine that was part of it. We all, we all sort of saw Kiwi as our own, you know, with the name, etc. But that was a hell of a run. It sure was, yeah. And I, I was very fortunate uh, late last year to be on a leg of the uh, Melbourne Cup Tour with Jimmy Cassidy, and he told the story uh, often and very well uh, about riding Kiwi, and uh, it went something like um, he, he had a, a meeting with uh, the legendary Roy Higgins, and uh, Roy asked him, uh, what's, what's your plan, uh, Jimmy? What are you going to do with Kiwi? He said, well, at the post the first time, Mr Higgins, I'll, I'll be last. And Roy said, well, where will you be at the mile? He said, oh, Mr Higgins, I'll still be last at the mile. And he said, well, what, you know, horses make their move around Chiquita Lodge about six furlongs out. Where are you going to be there, Jimmy? And he said, oh, Mr Higgins, I'll be last there too. And he said, what about the home turn? He said, oh, pr- pretty much I'll be last there, I'd say, Mr Higgins. And Roy <laughs> said, well, good luck, son, you know. <laughs> well, he was still last for the furlong to go, Ian, wasn't he? Uh, most yeah. extraordinary, a uh, most extraordinary win. I don't think I've ever seen a horse finish a Melbourne Cup like that. Uh, such a great story too, uh, you know, Snowy Lupton out of Waverley, little racing settlement. And it was just had so much romance about it. But so, uh, so many of your great moments, uh, Greg, some, uh, some sad ones, of course, uh, you called the first for a lot of uh, people and the last for a lot of people, including uh, the Cups King, uh, Bart Cummings. You called his last, uh, quite a few of his. Oh, I did too. Um, I thought Bart might have run his race when I started calling. Yeah, the great Joe Brown had called seven and then I came along and uh, you know had another clutch uh, for, for the great man. And uh, he was he's just such a huge part of the the Melbourne Cup story, and of course he intertwined uh, with with New Zealand. He was one of the first to to come over here and realise that the blood that was existing in this country and 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 take it back and and win countless Melbourne Cups. So, uh, yep, the, the Bart Cummings story is intrinsic in in the Melbourne Cup story. There's a special call as well, um, a media puzzle winning back in 2002 for Damien Oliver, and that was quite a poignant uh, occasion. Yeah, it, it sure was. Uh, as everyone knows, Damien had, had lost his brother in the in the week leading into that Melbourne Cup, and there was thoughts of whether he'd, he'd take the ride on media puzzle or, or not. And the emotion that poured out uh, after that Melbourne Cup victory was something I'll, I'll never forget. I, I was on course caller and calling for uh, Sky Channel at the time, and uh, part of the, the Melbourne Cup is that uh, you, you welcome the winner back to scale, you know, that famous Roses race. And um, I looked down and it, it, hairs on the back of my neck stand up just thinking about it now when 
It was a standing ovation. Everybody in front of the stands where, I, where I'm broadcasting from, I can see most of the crowd uh, in front of the lawn stand. They all stood up. Um, grown men were crying. Women were crying. And it was just such an emotional outpouring uh, of grief for Damien. And then I had to go on air and, and welcome back the, the Melbourne Cup winner, you know, media puzzle, Damien Oliver. And, and the crowd just went uh, ballistic. It was uh, just quite an amazing and emotional moment. Certainly was. I, I remember it well. I remember the call very well too. Um, uh, one of the other things, of course, uh, you know, when you started uh, and uh, even before that in the Joe Brown days, it was almost uh, unthinkable that a, a woman would ride the winner of a Melbourne Cup. And of course, uh, with Pride of Penzance, Michelle Payne was able to do that and you called that. Yeah, that was one of the great um, moments in the Melbourne Cup's history. Uh, hasn't been done since, but I'm sure it's just a matter of time that the women are having a, a huge influence in, in racing in Australia, as it has been for a long, long time here in New Zealand, and it's just a matter of time before it happens again. That was a surprise to many, you know, the, the, the price that uh, Prince of Penzance was on the day. It was you know, an extraordinary long price, but I don't know how he started that such a long price because I've bumped into that many people who backed him <laughs> <laughs> they've told me yeah. they backed him because of Michelle, you know, uh, and and Michelle's still going. She's, um, I think, very close to hanging up the boots, but uh, she didn't ride all that many in the last season, and she's been given a, a special dispensation to continue with yeah. her riding career uh, for the for the coming season. And I'm sure it won't be too long before uh, you know she bows out and uh, and takes up training full time. But that yeah. was a, a big moment in 2015 for sure. Sure, sure was. In the trilogy, uh, we touched on it with the commentary of the third one, Maccabi Diva and the Glen Boss, that association there. Uh, almost unthinkable with the com- competitive nature of racing that a horse would be able to win that two-mile race three years in a row. It, it was, wasn't it? And the amazing thing about her, I think, is she just got better the older that she got. You know, the, the start of her last preparation, she won over seven, over 1,400 metres first up, and she couldn't do that early in her career. She just got better and better and better. And um, that lead up to whether she'd run in the Melbourne Cup, it was just almost a circus had <laughs> at, at Markdale at the training centre where um, Lee Friedman gave her a, her, her final gallop and Glenn Boss was there and there were pressmen hanging out of trees at his property backed onto the golf course. They were all lined up along the, the golf course trying to get that exclusive whether she'd run or not. And it was, as Glenn Boss pointed out, he said it was just a runaway train. We, it, we can't stop this, you know. And he was convinced that the mayor was going to win it. And uh, uh, I've never called a Melbourne Cup under such pressure that uh, all eyes were on her and I had another 20-odd horses to, to call in, you know, and I just kept glancing back and making sure she was safe and well and I didn't want to see her, you know, clip heels or get a check and I'd be the only bloke on course who didn't see it, you know, and I'm supposed to see it all. But So it was an extraordinary moment when Glenn, for three years in a row, to be able just to wear Wherever he wanted to go, the gaps opened. And mm. to happen once is uh, a great deal of luck. To happen three times is just something extraordinary. You had some divine intervention, I think, Glenn. Greg, before we get on to the actual day itself or the carnival itself and uh, the way you approached it as such, uh, I'd just like to talk about uh, two other mares that um, that you, uh, you, you saw and called and, um, and watched uh, light up Australia, really, Black Caviar and, and of course, Winks. 
Yeah, I was very fortunate to call nearly all of uh, Black Caviar's uh, races and it was an event every time she went to the course. It was quite something else and it, her legend just continued to grow and grow and the, the, the crowds that she would attract. Uh, when she went over to Adelaide, they had the biggest crowds they've ever had there. Went to Brisbane, it was the biggest crowd they've ever had there. She... Uh, transcended racing. It was just something else again and I was very fortunate enough to be uh, at Ascot uh, um, in England uh, and see her win there. Probably not her finest moment but maybe in another way it was because she wasn't at the top of her game. She she was unwell. Whether she was going to start was uh, up in the air and a lot of people didn't know that, that she'd really trained off before the race and had to pull out something very, very special to uh, to see off uh, the best in, in the world and, and then to come back and continue that legacy and and uh, and go on and remain unbeaten as she was. She was she was an absolute privilege to uh, to be in the broadcast box and call. I'd have friends ringing up and if you want a line for her this time, try this, you know, because every mm. time she won, you knew she was going to win. You just wanted to try and make it a bit more interesting and give another line. So uh, that was that was an interesting thing, but. With Winks, I was very fortunate. Yeah, I got to call her first two uh, Cox plates, and and then Matt Hill's been able to come along and, and have the next two, four Cox plates. Just something extraordinary. What did she win? Thirty three in a row at one stage. Twenty eight yes. Group Ones. Yep. Uh, it's it's just mouth watering when you reel off statistics like that, Ian, and uh, what she what she did, and another that was able to transcend racing and 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 put our great sport on the front page. Greg, on the carnival itself, of course, it's uh, principally a four-day carnival as such. Uh, the first day, of course, is, is Derby Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and some say that's the, the best day in Australian racing, or well, they used to say that anyway, with the quality of the fields throughout. Is that still the, the situation, or has racing grown around Australia to, uh, 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 to an extent that possibly isn't the case now? Oh, I think you'd find that uh, most people would still say that um, Derby Day is, is the principal day. Caulfield Guineas Day is a great day, and we've got some pop-up races uh, in in New South Wales, but they don't have the the history and and the and the quality of what of what Derby Day at Flemington is all about. You know, it, it's the start of a a four-day extravaganza, um, and the whole town just gets behind what's going on at Flemington for that week. Uh, it's the crescendo of yeah, a, a terrific spring carnival that just sort of starts to get going in September and when the uh, AFL finals finish at the end of September and October rolls around, it's just a, a build-up week by week and I feel it sort of peaks in that four days at Flemington. And for when I was calling in the 30-odd years, Derby Day was the day I look forward to the most because it was, you know, the best of the best were out there on, on the track and uh, it was just a, a buzz that doesn't exist it's palpable. You walk onto the race course and you can just feel something special's about to happen and you're a little part of it. It's a, it's a big buzz. So for me, it's still Derby Day, Ian. Not an, not an easy race to call the Cup, uh, Greg. Of course, a lot of the horses are so well known, the colours are quite well known, but there's 24 horses, for goodness sake. As you said before, you've, you can't just look at the star and, or the favourite and plot its progress. You, you have to look at the lot. So how do you prepare for a 24-horse uh, ho- uh, field 
yeah. uh, of that nature or that importance on that particular occasion, knowing full well that everything you say is going down into history as such. Yeah, that's right. It sort of changed over the years for me because when I first started, you know, computers didn't exist and um, uh, replays, video replays were extremely hard to, to get hold of and there were no internationals. Uh, so it was a matter of you, you did your homework and the weeks leading up to the Melbourne Cup, you'd see just about every horse have a start, uh, you know, apart from horses like Kiwi, which we, we didn't see, but it was that was that was uh, uh, not very often that would happen. We'd We'd normally know every every horse in the Melbourne Cup field, uh, having called them in the lead-up. As things have changed you know, since the the days of uh, vintage crop winning the Melbourne Cup and and the mm. huge influx of the international horses, sometimes you wouldn't see them until Melbourne Cup time. So um, you know, maybe eight or nine horses you'd never have been able to uh, to witness before. So I'd go out to uh, Werribee and try and get some kind of a handle on looking at the horses there. But then on, on the day itself, it's just a matter of putting yourself into a sort of a cocoon of concentration, I'd call it, um, where nothing else enters your mind apart from the, the colours that the jockey's wearing and the, and the horse and the racing style that you, you, you know of the horse. And, and then just the concentration level goes up uh, to a degree that I, I, I probably don't concentrate that hard on anything else any time during the year apart from that five minutes during that Melbourne Cup and you realise as you say how important the race is because it reaches out beyond the racing folk people who've never had a bet all year and might, might just have a, uh, a, a ticket uh, on, a, on a place for the Melbourne Cup they want to hear their horse called and it's the last furlong that really matters so as a race caller I always felt if you could get that 10 or 12 seconds right, then you can relax for the rest of the year, really. <laughs> I, I, the other thing I've, uh, I've often wanted to uh, ask the likes of yourself is, you know, you have those legendary calls, those legendary statements, those legendary moments that, you know, we just heard with Maccabi Diva 2005. Um, are they in the back of your mind or do they come to you naturally when the emotion of what you're just seeing in front of you takes over? 99% of the time uh, I try not to have anything prepared because you can just trip over your own words if it, if the race doesn't fold out the way you hope it might. Mm -hmm. So I often didn't uh, prepare lines, but every now and again there's something exceptional that um, you des it deserves to be uh, uh, spoken of and and, uh, and labelled and, and, and put a proper call on it, if you like, you know. And that was one of them uh, for Maccabi's third. I remember on the eve of that Melbourne Cup, I was in a radio studio, you know, not, a, not unlike the one we're in now, and uh, we were interviewing all of the... Uh, Contestants and 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 personalities and Bruce McAvaney, a, a brilliant and outstanding sports broadcaster, said uh, on air. He said, "I'm sure Greg's got a line prepared for Maccabi Diva, just as I had for Kathy Freeman in those 2000 <laughs> games." And I thought my heart sunk because I hadn't thought of anything, Ian. You know, and this is the <laughs> night before the the Melbourne Cup and the greatest broadcaster in Australia is saying, "I'm sure he's got a line prepared." So <laughs> I went home and thought, "What am I going to do?" Bruce McAvaney says I should have a line prepared, and I tossed and turned, and I was playing some old replays, and I replayed a Cox Plate, and I'd said just a throwaway line, "What a what a legend she is," and I, it dawned on me then that. Well, if she does win it, that'll be it. I can just say a champion becomes a legend and God mm. bless her cotton socks. She made it pretty easy because she was going to win the race a long way out. It's just a matter of when I wanted to say it. <laughs>
<laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Greg, I know you're, you're a busy man and you've got a lot of uh, commitments. Uh, your message, I guess, to people around New Zealand as you travel around promoting the Melbourne Cup is get involved. I mean, it's not hard to. It is the race that still stops two nations, as we like to call it over here. Uh, so what are, for people looking to still get involved now that we're able to travel, etc., there's a classic opportunity here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, finally, uh, we're back and we're open. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, no one was at Flemington for the, for the Melbourne Cup uh, eerily. Uh, last year, just 10,000 people were allowed. But this year, uh, it, it's open as normal. If you're thinking of coming along, Melbourne's got its doors wide open for you. Best way to, to operate is just to contact the VRC through uh, vrc.com.au and all the tickets are available there. Uh, there are packages galore and you know it, it's going to be the Melbourne Cup of old. It's going to be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic, Greg. As has been this uh, opportunity to talk to you for the last uh, 20 minutes, it's just been... I could talk honestly. I could sit down over a beer with you, and perhaps not with David Ellis around, and talk some serious, <laughs> some some serious racing. Because uh, I love that you know, very you, much. You, look, your voice is just synonymous with the with the whole damn deal. It's just uh, I, I love it, absolutely love it, and I've loved this opportunity. Travel safe around New Zealand, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up in person at some stage. Thank I, you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ian. I've enjoyed it very much, and I'd, I'd love to catch up and have that beer with you one day. Cheers, thank you. Greg Miles, folks, there, a legendary race caller. 36, 36 Melbourne Cups for the ABC, the RSN, racing.com, across Australia, across the world. Uh, that voice, if you're driving along or you're sitting at home and listening, and I know that voice, of course you do. It's a legendary voice, and we've been lucky to have it. It's 10.22 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Very privileged to have on the panel this morning a voice you know very, very well. You'll hear him later this afternoon as well. Mark Stafford has popped into the studio early for us. And Jamie Wall, of course, who's been away on reconnaissance in Fiji. My voice is just about running out. Jamie, welcome back. And the rugby side of things, the rugby side of things, uh, has improved much while you've been away. Although there's been changes, what have you made of them? Oh, uh, uh, Buller, uh, Smithy, and hello, Steffi. Um, uh, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm actually still here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not coming back till next oh, week. So um, just what? decided to stay here and uh, check the mood of the Fijian public uh, <laughs> after they've lost Jason Ryan. And this is going to sound like an absolute G-up, but I actually even managed to talk to their Prime Minister about it. Like, this did actually happen. Um, on uh, Saturday afternoon, and um, he's not happy about it. So, uh, yeah, few people uh, are not so happy because obviously the mood up here is that um, the, the All Blacks seem to make a habit of um, taking Fijian players, and now we're taking the coaches too, even though he's obviously a New Zealander. But, uh, yeah, interesting situation. Um, uh, like, I, I guess it's the first kind of bit of good news, or at least that the All Blacks are heading in, in, in a kind of positive uh, direction. Um, I, I was a little surprised uh, with with Ryan's move. Um, I thought he'd be he'd just go wherever Robertson would go. That that'd be some sort of package deal um, because obviously he's been a part of the success that that Robertson um, has has enjoyed as well, and that obviously he's a very well respected coach. But then at the same time, it's like well, perhaps he thought this might be my only chance, and that I have to I have to grab it. It's probably not the way that he wanted uh, it to happen, um, but I think that. 
he he's kind of uh, in, in a situation where he's, he's he's got nothing to lose. Like if they go away to South Africa and and drop both these tests, no one's going to be blaming him. So it's going to be a very interesting um, couple of weeks coming up. I can I can tell you that much. Now the hefty price this has come, Steph, uh, financially as well for the rugby union. They sort of had to do something, though, Smithy. They had to offer the public and the fans uh, some sort of... Uh, they'll never admit that they got things wrong, but uh, putting Jason Ryan in there. And I sort of... I agree a bit with Jamie about you sort of thought he'd stick with Scott Robertson, but it reminds me of when I was a little kid and my parents used to put me and my sister on the train to Gisborne because we weren't great travellers. And they'd send us away about three hours before the car left. Well, I think Scott Robertson's put uh, Jason Ryan on the all-black train and you'll see him in Gisborne uh, next year when when they uh, re- reconvene. <laughs> Willie, uh, who else might he not see, though? Uh, is, is, uh, who are you forecasting? So just say they, they didn't lose, uh, they didn't do too well in these next two, or even if they don't do okay, is there anything else to happen? Uh, my understanding on Friday was it was going to be Leon McDonald, and I think this questions have certainly been asked. Now, uh, call me a bit of a conspiracy theorist, but uh, the third-party people involved with the Blues won't want Leon McDonald to go just yet, and maybe he's digging his toes in to do another season with the Blues because they've finally found some form and returned towards the top of the tree. Uh, the last thing they want is to lose Leon McDonald, who's been uh, a big architect of that. So a bit of power play in the corridors, I reckon, going on. On at the moment, Smithy. You know, what got me about it, Jamie, is uh, when they announced the team, uh, it looked like it was sort of the cart before the horse because they announced that John Plumtree was selecting uh, that, that particular side to South Africa, of course, then he's gone, so it's not his side at all. Um, and I just wonder, were there someone else in there, whether there would have been slight more change of personnel? Well, yeah, good point, because I, I think uh, going back to Ryan's situation, that he's, he's come into a team that he's had absolutely nothing to do with. And so what he can do with them is going to be a real test of his, his coaching abilities. But, um, yeah, it, it was, you know, everyone was talking about how if Foster was going to be let go, he would be the first all black coach to effectively get fired. Um, and I, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but like Plumtree and Moore getting the sack is the first time it's ever happened to an assistant coach as well. So it's kind of rarefied territory for the All Blacks. They haven't really been in the situation before. If they go away to Africa and get flogged over there, and Foster does go, um, I mean, I feel like his situation would be untenable at that stage. Then you would enter a period of I'm presuming Schmidt coming in as a caretaker which, again, is something the All Blacks have never had to do in their entire history. So it's a very interesting time period that we're coming into, sort of really no matter what happens, because I think even if they win in South Africa, it's got to the point, and I've been saying this for you know as long as I've been coming on the show, is that it doesn't really matter what Foster does. And and you know at the risk of repeating myself for the, for the 12th time, it's, it's, it's just, it just all, all comes down to how he got the job, and now this as well that, you know, it's his neck that should have been on the block. And instead it was Plumtree and more that have gone. I mean, personally, I, I don't think it's this the worst decision to have them replaced. But, you know, why are we looking at those guys when the boss himself should be kind of carrying the can for, for these results? Okay, uh, Jamie Wall is with us uh, this morning, as is uh, Mark Stafford in studio. We'll take a very quick news break when we come back. A couple of moral issues to look at around rugby league jerseys. 
Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh, Jamie Wall with us this morning, as is uh, staff, Mark Stafford, and uh, staff, uh, there'll be an issue, I, I guess, if you get the phone lines up and running, which will uh, pre- make them pretty warm today, and this is this moral issue that is emerging out of uh, the Manly Sea Eagles Rugby League Club, uh, the rainbow signal or symbol on the jersey, uh, whether to wear it, what to do from a CEO's point of view. How do you read this? Yeah, I think they've got power in numbers. Like it's not, uh, we've seen in the past, uh, I remember Sonny Bill Williams put a basket tape over the BNZ logo because he didn't agree with banking. Um, but that was a, a voice of one. Um, Israel Folau, uh voice of one. Now they've got a voice of seven and they will get solidarity from each other. Now these are moralistic things that they truly believe in and I've, I've always struggled with it a little bit. When, when it's not your moralistic value, I'm all about the rainbow nation and inclusivity and all of that. And um, it's probably not a fair um, illustration, but I remember a long time ago a friend of mine uh, he became a friend of mine. He was a real estate agent in Wellington, and he was Indian. And he had a, he went back to India for an arranged marriage. And I said, "Mate, I just don't get how you can marry someone you've never met." And he said, "Yeah, I get you're struggling with that." And he said, "But I just don't get how you don't let your parents choose your wife for you. It's just like com- come from completely different paths." Now, this is a strongly felt opinion in the Pacific Island community, particularly around this this rainbow thing. And they're just saying we don't support. Um, um, that lifestyle, so we can't we can't illustrate it, and it won't just be them; it'll be pressure from their families too. Yeah, Jamie, it is. Um, it's a, it's an interesting one. What do you think the end result will end up being here? Yeah, you're right. It is interesting, and it is a it's a very complicated um, issue. It's it's not just a case as as Steffi just mentioned about just saying right or wrong. Um, because I think what we're finding out is, as, as New Zealanders and Australians, at least, um, for, for Pākehā, Pālingi, uh, whatever you want to say, is I think this issue with Israel Folau and now these guys uh, is really showing just how much uh, of a conservative religious culture exists within the Pacifica uh, community. It's something we probably haven't had to think about an, an awful lot and now it is because it's it's on tv in front of us it's on social media right in front of us and it's something that we kind of probably need to have a talk about um because uh, you know these guys have a right to believe in their religious beliefs but at the same time they are employed by a team that uh is essentially giving them a, a work request to say this is what we're doing this weekend and if you don't like it you're not going to play and that's that employer's right to do that. But also, I mean, I find it just a little bit disingenuous from these players. I mean, first off, do they not even know their own team's history? Like, the, the Manly are the team of the, the most high-profile gay uh, uh, player, uh, sports person ever. And and he's one of the greatest ever players. And and, and they platform him all the time. They get And, and they're very proud of him. Uh, and I, I, I think that, you know, for this, all the other stuff that happens, for them to get upset about this, uh, given that the, the problems in the NRL um, that often exist, you know, around moralistic uh, issues, especially domestic violence, um, for a start, uh, that this this is the thing that tips them over the edge. It kind of says a bit more about them than it does about uh, anything else, in my opinion.
Interesting. Uh, yeah, of course you're talking about Ian Roberts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually just triggered that for, from my point of view as well. I mean, thinking about other things this morning, but that a very, very valid point. Actually, it's certainly a role model and an absolute hero out of uh, the Manly Seagulls Club. Uh, Steph um, was slightly wrong. My interview with Greg Miles uh, ran over a wee bit, so I'm, I apologise for this, but um, that, that was uh, an interview I couldn't, I could not uh, leave. Really, you get them every now and then, uh, but give, it still gives us time to be fair to um, to talk about the Commonwealth Games. And I want you to give me your moment, your moment of the Commonwealth Games that you cannot let go. The one moment, Smithy. Oh, yes. Geez, well, I've written down a few. If I have to pick one, um, so, so my shortlist was uh, Dick Taylor, John Walker, um, Silver Ferns at Delhi in uh, triple overtime, Lauren Boyle 2014, Dave Litty at the last one. So, but my number one, my number one, Smithy, I don't think I've ever yelled at a Commonwealth Games quite as much as I yelled for this, was the overtime try by Kelly Brazier to win the sevens at the Gold Coast last time. It was just, it took me to a place I really visit of sporting euphoria. Mm, interesting. I think we played a bit of that the other day. It was fantastic, mm. the piece of commentary, etc. cetera. Uh, what about you, Jamie? Yeah, well, Stephanie just nailed, nailed my one. Um, that was possibly the greatest game of women's um, sevens I've ever seen uh, in a competition that is technically probably harder to win uh, than the Olympics. Uh, so, an awesome, awesome game by the um, Blackfin Sevens, and it, it kind of marked their arrival in New Zealand's consciousness as as a team that uh, that, that that they've they've become. Um, but for me, a slightly more obscure favourite Commonwealth Games memory. Um, not sure how many people know this, but Jason Statham, the uh, Hollywood actor, actually came to Auckland in 1990 and competed in the diving event. You can you can find it on YouTube. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Wow. Wow. I wasn't expecting that one. I wasn't expecting that one. Oh, goodness me. Jason Statham. I wouldn't want to mess with him at the Commonwealth Games. Uh, 10.41 here on SENZ. Our panel this morning has been Jamie Wall. It has been Mark Stafford. Thanks, gentlemen, uh, for your thoughts this morning. And we'll have another uh, panel uh, at the same time tomorrow morning. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's reading an article coming out of uh, Sydney that three Manly players are reported to have had a change of heart and are considering wearing the club's pride jersey, while owner Scott Penn has made it clear the Seagulls will wear the design this week. Incidentally, you're hearing on the news that the, the uh, commemorative jersey has sold out, absolutely sold out, and here we are, what, only Tuesday morning. Initially, seven players stood down from the selection for Thursday's game against the Roosters, a crucial game, over the club's decision to wear the LGBTQIA kit. Uh, speaking on Channel 7's uh, Sunrise, Michelle Bishop explained at least three are now reconsidering their action. Of the seven players who are refusing to wear the jersey, at least three are considering wearing it now for the upcoming round. Uh, not naming the three, but the seven initially uh, included Jason Saab, of course, who's uh, always been a little bit controversial <coughs> when it comes to picking and choosing what he is prepared to stand for. I've had one text in this morning that uh, came in at uh, eight minutes past nine, and I thought, will I read it? Won't I read it? I think I'll just read the first part of it. Many players are happy to play on their Sabbath. No objection with helping to promote gambling and alcohol sales, but draw the line at the strip of the rainbow. Um, and there's another part to that, which um, I'm still thinking about. I might even read it before midday, but it's a bit touch and go. Uh, for someone who really um, doesn't feel it strongly about it, uh, as I do, I mean, as I said in the sermon, I just, look, get on with it. You know, if you don't want to play, 
you don't play, if you want to cover it up, uh, that's another issue you're going to have to deal with with your owner. Um, and uh, you know, if 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 it's a real, uh, it's going to be a real ongoing issue. It's going to divide you in the weeks ahead. Uh, then you've got a real problem. That that's the thing for me. Uh, I mean, how much, how much do the guys who are going to conform um, and just get on and play this weekend against the Roosters? How do they feel about those blokes that aren't for the sake of a symbol? Don't know. Uh, that would uh, effectively pan out. Uh, thank you uh, for your interview with, with Greg. Miles, top class race caller. It's Mulu Les, no problem at all. Uh, Craig has come in and said, uh, Hi Smithy, I'm not a great racing fan, uh, but I take a passing interest from time to time, but I'm really enjoying this interview. That's uh, during the interview with Greg Miles. So easy to listen to um, and so knowledgeable and passionate about uh, what he did for 36 years. So, so you can listen to that uh, interview on, on the podcast or uh, get it uh, involved in the app somehow because... Uh, certainly it's uh, well worth recalling and those wonderful horses that he was able to um, be associated with calling over the years. What an absolute privilege, but what a great job he made of it. Uh, New Zealand has uh, many protected species. This is from Carlos from Christchurch. The most protected appear to be the coaches of the All Blacks and the Black Caps. Listening to Foster recently instead this morning, you'd believe we're the best thing going round. Gary Stead's PR spin was sickening. It's only now that I fully understand why Ajaz Patel and Neil Wagner were sparingly used during the England series. Uh, they were being rested as we don't want our players to experience burnout. Longevity in the game was its narrative. That is uh, unbelievable. That is from Carlos in Christchurch. And keep those texts coming in uh, around about um, Mount Rushmore as well. Uh, your favourite Commonwealth, game Commonwealth Games memories. Jason Statham and the diving. Not quite sure that'll figure in too many, uh, too many people's uh, estimations, but uh, names like Sarah Ulmer might, Graham May might, Precious McKenzie might. Text about them coming up. 10.50 here on SENZ. I was just having a look at a bit of cricket, uh, Smitty. Of course, the uh, Black Caps taking on Scotland in a T20 international on Thursday morning our time. Scotland, $6.20 at the moment. Uh, the Black Caps at $1.10. Uh, not surprisingly, almost all of the, uh, the support in that head-to-head market is with the Black Caps. Um, I've also had a look at the top run scorer markets. The best backed in the Scottish side, Richie Barrington at $4.50. Uh, and in the Black Caps, uh, Martin Guptill uh, is the most popular uh, run scorer. He's at three fifty. He's the favourite in that uh, market. Uh, he's closely followed by Glenn Phillips, uh, at six dollars, and Daryl Mitchell at seven fifty. So support for Guptill uh, at the top of that market, but also there's a bit of action on Glenn Phillips and Daryl Mitchell uh, to go well in that T uh, Twenty International. Okay, the, we've got the rugby, of course. Um, the All Blacks uh, market now is uh, an interesting one, and uh, you still got uh, South Africa framed as slight favourites, a dollar eighty-seven, uh, as opposed to the All Blacks at two bucks. Yeah, and the punters are j- jumping in too, the South Africans. They're really, really, um, I-, I guess, keen on the chances of the South Africans in that first test, which is, what, a week and a half away now. Uh, in the overall market is where we've seen some interesting uh, action as well. Uh, All Black still favourites here, $2, but they have drifted uh, out from $1.87 uh, a few days ago. The South Africans have seen support. They're now into 250 after being 275 last week. 
And there's also support for the Australians to win the rugby championship at $5.50. In fact, we've taken more bets and more cash on Australia to win the rugby championship than we have on the All Blacks. Um, so that signals uh, a significant shift in the sort of confidence that punters have had in the All Blacks in recent years. Um, they're, they're backing either South, South Africans at 250 to win the rugby championship or they're back in Australia at 5.50. So there's not a lot of confidence around the All Blacks and their chances in the rugby championship this season if uh, the money is anything to go by. Well, of course, last time the Warriors played the Storm as well, Paul. Um, it was an absolute pasting, embarrassing pasting as such. But the rules have changed a wee bit in terms of personnel and form, etc. since then. Seems a long time ago. But uh, even the New Zealand faithful not looking too fa uh, favourably at the Warriors at uh, three ninety five, the Storm are buck twenty three. Uh, funnily enough, we've taken more money on the Warriors at three ninety five in terms of single bets than we have on the Melbourne Storm. But all of the multis are flowing through the Storm at one twenty three to win that match. Of course, the Warriors return back to Mount Smart. Uh, unbeaten there this season, uh, even though it's only the one game they've had there. They took care of the Tigers. The Storm in all sorts of trouble. Four losses in a row. I can't remember the last time the Storm uh, were in this sort of uh, turmoil. Um, but the punters think they're going to bounce back this Friday night. The Storm at $1.23 are very, very popular in NRL multis this weekend. Paul Moati from the TAB, thank you very much for the updates. Looking forward a wee bit in terms of our sporting calendars a pretty quiet day today a little bit of baseball floating around but uh, that's uh, uh, about it and some tennis overnight it's busier tomorrow being wednesday thanks very much paul uh, we shall be back uh, very shortly with a very special interview uh, it's uh, around ice hockey and a very special signing for a young man by the name of jacob radcliffe back with that after the break in the meantime is araha 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.03 uh, heading into the last hour when we hand over to uh, Mark Stafford, who's already been part of the show anyway, but uh, that will be at midday. Well, when you think of Kiwis making it big in American sport, the first name that likely comes to mind is Stephen Adams in the NBA. You might also think about Scott Dixon and Scott McLaughlin too in Indy cars. But New Zealand has seen players make it to the top level in basketball and American football, but never ice hockey. But last week news came out of the Southern Professional Hockey League that they had signed a young Kiwi, a Christchurch lad by the name of Jacob Radcliffe. Jake's career is one that our, our producer, Logan Swinkles, has followed closely over the years. So, Logan, can you tell us a wee bit more about this move before we get uh, into the interview with Jacob itself? Yeah, uh, just to give a little bit of context here, Smithy, so the Southern Professional Hockey League, or the SPHL, when you look at the tiers of the way pro hockey goes in America, you have the NHL first and the AHL kind of farms up to that. Like you would imagine the NRL and then, uh, you know, the systems there with, say, the Queensland Cup in the New South Wales. Uh, and then you have the ECHL and then below that is the SPHL. But the exciting thing here, Smithy, 
is players have actually gone on from the SPHL and made it up to the NHL and won the Stanley Cup. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself to think, hey, maybe we might see a New, Zealand, a New Zealander in the NHL, but this is the closest that we have come so far. Okay, uh, so that's the background on uh, Jacob Ratcliffe and the significance of what he has achieved in just getting signing. Let's hear from uh, the young man himself, and this was uh, with Logan Swinkles a little earlier. Back now for Gautier with 31 seconds to go. Radcliffe walking in, in traffic. Jake Radcliffe, he nails it. The Bears win in overtime. Jake Radcliffe, the best Kiwi import into the Bears outfit this year. He has absolutely nailed it. Jacob Ratcliffe joins the SNZ now from Sydney, Australia, fresh off a weekend playing with the Sydney Bears in Brisbane. First of all, Jake, awesome news about you signing with the Quad City Storm. How did that all come about? Yeah, hey, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, with Quad City, it was just um, something where, you know, I was looking looking for a team in the SBHL to, to sign with. And I had an old roommate that I used to play with in college who um, plays for them now. And so I had kind of had that connection there and was able to see things up uh, from there. So when that news came out uh, back here in New Zealand, what kind of reaction did you get from, say, like your former teammates and coaches? Yeah, no, it was good. I had quite a few people, um, teammates and coaches, you know, messaging me and just uh, saying congrats and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was good to see that everyone was um, everyone was pretty excited for it too. You mentioned you have that connection there uh, with a former teammate from your college years. But aside from that, what attracted you to playing in the SPHL? Do you know much about that league? Um, I mean, I know a few guys that have, um, a few other guys that I used to play with as well, um, and against in, in college that have gone there and it seems like a pretty, pretty high level league and, um, just kind of the next step to, to take for me coming out of D3, which is kind of what a lot of guys do. So, um, yeah, it just seemed like the right move. Now you spent some time playing previously in America, uh, obviously at college, but then you played junior leagues as well for the South Shore Kings, but with something like the SPHL, do you know what you're in for in terms of like uh, the workload and you know the lifestyle of a minor pro hockey player? Um, you know a little bit. Obviously, it's um, you know it's college is kind of a lighter schedule. You play like 25 games, but you know in the in the SP it's around 60, so um, definitely going to be a little more a little more of a toll on the body, um, and you know a lot more kind of longer longer bus rides and stuff like that, but. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm getting to, you know, keep playing hockey and doing it for a living, um, I think it's something I'm really excited for. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I feel like this is a real dad question, but I'm sure it's one you've probably heard from your own dad. I mean, the players in the SBHL, uh, I looked up, you know, they don't get the kind of level of money that you would see in like the NHL, AHL, that kind of level. How do you balance, I guess, that goal of trying to play professional hockey while you know making a livable income uh, outside of the season, yeah, I mean it's it's tough. But you know during the, the during this time of year, you know the the North American summer and off season, you know you just kind of work up, um, you know work and, and train and save up as much as you can, and then um, see kind of how the I guess I'll have to, this is my first year, so I have to see how it all kind of goes financially and everything. But hopefully, um, should be able to get through get through fine over there, and then just kind of do it again next uh, next winter, I think. Now, the, this move, uh, Jake, does signal your transition into pro hockey. So what does it mean to you to be the first Kiwi to reach that level in the North American leagues? Uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of, a lot of other players 
Africa and New Zealand that have played uh, in all sorts of different places, um, be it in North America and Europe and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it is definitely cool to be the first one, I guess, to, to play pro. So um, hopefully I can do a good job and represent, um, represent the country well. I was looking at the uh, the breakdown of, I guess, nationalities in that league. It's definitely predominantly Americans and Canadians. Uh, there's, you know, there's a small percentage of Russians and European players as well. I mean, you've experienced this throughout your hockey career, but what's it like being the only Kiwi, let alone the only Southern Hemisphere player on a team in the States? Um, I think it's, you know, for the other guys on the team, it's definitely probably a little different for them at first. But, um, you know, once you get to know everyone, it's just, you know, you're just another one of the guys. And, um, you know, luckily I've been able to fit in pretty well and on most of the teams that I've played on and, you know, have a lot of really good mates. So um, I would think it'll kind of be the same thing, uh, same thing here, hopefully. Uh, also, like digging a bit further into the league there, I looked at some of the alumni to come out of there. I think the biggest story would have been uh, the development of Scott Darling, the goalie. Some listeners might recognize that name. He played uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks back in 2015 when they won a Stanley Cup. He started his uh, SBHL career 2010 to 2012. And he moved his way up through uh, getting loans to AHL teams, and you know, then he realized his uh, his dream and his goals. Do stories like that give you hope that at twenty four, the dream is you know still very much alive for you? Um, maybe a little bit. I'm just trying to kind of take it, um, <laughs> you know, one one game, one season at a time, I guess. And you know, I'm just gonna obviously it's a new new challenge this year because I've been in college for the last four years. Um, so this is kind of the first time in a while that I've you know jumping up to a different different league and then you know a higher level so i'm just gonna try to fit in uh, as best i can there and and yeah try to play well um this season and see what happens from there of course you're in australia at the moment in your second season uh with the sydney bears you joined them in 2019 where you won uh the good old cup and uh rookie of the year as well that same season what do you remember fondly about uh your rookie year there um just the whole season really i mean it was a great um, you know, a great bunch of guys uh, on the Bears, and and I think we just kind of believed the whole way through that we had the team to do it. And um, yeah, come finals weekend, obviously that's definitely the highlight was you know getting uh, you know winning the winning the cup there. And um, yeah, I think that's definitely what I what I remember the most from from twenty nineteen. Uh, and then the AHL AIHL, sorry, you know, it came back this season. They were off for a couple of years. Like a lot of things, the pandemic kind of threw a spanner in the works uh, for hockey. How did it affect your career? Uh, for me, it definitely affected me quite a bit because I ended up uh, missing my whole third year of university. Um, we weren't able to uh, play, you know, just due to health reasons, obviously over in the States and stuff. It was pretty bad around that time. So um, we weren't able to kind of have a season at all. And because of that, I ended up staying back uh, in New Zealand actually and doing all my all my uni courses um, online and all that. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a big impact because, yeah, I had to miss, ended up missing a full season of hockey there, but, you know, so did everyone else. So, um, it was just something we all kind of dealt with and I'm um, just glad we could get back, you know, this past season and, and yeah, be back into it normally. Uh, you were named Rookie of the Year uh, in your first year with the Westfield State University between then and now, what you know, and you you did have to miss a bit of time, which is unfortunate. But what areas of your game do you think uh, saw the greatest improvement? Uh, I think just kind of my five on five play defensively and away from the puck and stuff like that. That was kind of a big thing that 
Um, they wanted me to focus on after my first year was, you know, I had some good offense, offensive kind of numbers and stuff, but um, maybe not as good defensively. So I think I've worked, you know, worked on that quite a bit and um, come come a long way since since that first year. Definitely, yeah. Every player, every team needs a good two-way player, no doubt about that. So uh, you talked about how this step now to the SPHL is kind of the next step that a lot of Division Three players from the NCAA take. What did what have you learned from playing US college hockey that you think is going to help you further uh, your career? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think the college game is definitely more similar you know, to kind of a, a pro game style. It's um, you know, pretty physical, pretty fast, you know, north, south, up and down the ice hockey and, um, you know, getting, obviously that was a bit of an adjustment coming out of juniors going into that, um, but I was able to fit in there and I think, uh, you know, it's probably going to be, I'll be able to expect a lot of the same stuff, um, you know, in the SPHL. So uh, hopefully I can just kind of move over there and, and translate my game, um, yeah, into, into the SP. How does the level playing uh, in the NCAA Division Three compare to what you're doing now in the Australian League? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, overall, it's it's definitely a much higher, much higher level. You know, a lot more competitive, um, but it's a little different, you know, because obviously here in the Australian League, you've got you've got a, a few imports for every team that are you know generally um, high level players. They play Division One or Major Junior and Pro Hockey, so they're you know, those players are better than what you would see in D3, but then, you know, the the rest of the team is kind of, in Division 3, everyone's kind of on a very similar level. So it's, um, yeah, it's not so much relying on two or three guys for offense. You kind of need a full full team um, effort every night. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a lot more, um, a lot more just an all-around kind of consistent game, I guess. And being back with the Bears uh, this year, after a couple of years off for the team, you know, they named you as an assistant captain. So, how are you finding the added responsibility that that brings, both on and off the ice, for you? Yeah, I mean, it's not too much of a change, to be honest. Um, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of younger guys on the team this year compared to in twenty nineteen. But um, you know, I think we're we're looking pretty good. Um, and, you know, the, the table's kind of locked up now, heading into playoffs almost. So, um, you know, I think we're just kind of trying to focus on getting getting everything kind of you know all the power plays and all that kind of ready for for playoffs here and yeah it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun playing here again and obviously looking forward to, to the playoffs again now obviously we've never had a, a kiwi in the nhl but the australians lay claim with nathan walker there being the first uh, aussie to play there he recently signed a new one-way contract for the 23-24 season with the st louis blues now he's definitely proved himself there in a fourth line role does someone like Nate's career provide inspiration for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, you know, especially for a lot of young Australian kids and New Zealand kids as well, just, um, you know, years back when he was first kind of heading overseas and playing in the, whether it was the top Czech league or then in the AHL and, you know, eventually uh, making it making it to the National League, um, you know, it was definitely something that a lot of us, you know, from the Southern Hemisphere growing up um, playing, you know, a lot of inspiration that we could take away from that and see that you know if he can do it then you know anyone else can really just keep pushing and and hopefully get there one day as well um it just sort of got me thinking there's no clear pathway for aussies or kiwis to you know make it in pro hockey like we see in north america or europe who do you kind of reach out to for advice to sort of navigate that path for you um i mean no one in particular really i just kind of you know when i first went overseas um, 
you know, like 10 years ago now, I ended up going to the same school that um, Gino Hayde had gone to. So I kind of had that connection and, you know, me and my dad talked with him before I went over and kind of figured that out. And then from there, you just kind of, um, once you're over there, you kind of, you know, figure out with all the other kids kind of what the, you know, what the best place places to play are and, and you know, just try to um, do your best to, to get there. Uh, just lastly, Jake, I'm, I'm calling this the Stephen Adams question, um, although he hasn't played for the Tall Blacks and you haven't, and you haven't played for the Ice Blacks since 2018 uh, back in Spain and that was like their best result in recent history, finishing second to the host. So the team itself hasn't played a, a double HF tournament since 2019. Do you see a return uh, to the national team on the cards for you in the near future? Uh, I mean, I would hope so. It's just a little tough now with um, timing-wise and dates and all that. Like our season in the SPHL kind of runs through uh, with playoffs. It, it runs through the time when World Champs is on. So there could potentially be some conflicts there. But um, at some point, I would definitely be keen to, to try and play again. Nice. Well, uh, all the best for the rest of the season with the Sydney Bears, Jake, and hopefully defending that good all cup and uh, good luck for your season with Quad City. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jacob uh, there, Jacob Ratcliffe, uh, Jake, uh, to his friends, obviously, uh, just recently signing with the Quad City Storm and the SPHL, which leads me um, to ask uh, you, Logan, uh, with your knowledge of uh, ice hockey, uh, two or three questions, particularly about the financial side of it. What, what would you get paid... New Zealand League, Australian League, and now um, SPHL League. What, what, what are you looking at in terms of remuneration? A, a living? No. Uh, well, New Zealand is completely amateur, so there's nothing there. It's, it's all done on the blood, sweat, and tears, and volunteers and sponsors. Australia, I think they kind of class themselves as semi-pro. There's a there's a bit more money behind them. I, I spent I was in Sydney uh, when Jacob played his first season with the Sydney Bears in 2019, back before COVID <laughs> ruined hockey for everyone and sport for everyone. Um, and he was just night and day. Uh, above everyone else, I mean, we've had New Zealanders in that league before, but not not to this degree. Never had that impact that uh, Jake has had. He's just he's a one of a kind player. And now for the SBHL, I looked up the kind of salary level there. Uh, it's it's not much. I believe it's around five to ten thousand US dollars. And I mean, when you consider how bad uh, the Kiwi dollar is against the American one at the moment, I mean that's not too bad for a sixty game season at the level that he's playing at. It's definitely something to work towards. Uh, but there's there's a few tiers to go up if he wants to earn uh, more money playing hockey. Okay, so um, what, uh, if he just he managed to manage to make uh, the NHL uh, as a rookie type player, I, I know for in the NBA situation, I think at the moment uh, the first rookie year is around about eight hundred to nine hundred thousand US. I think it's the maximum you can in in a rookie year on the NBA. Uh, what about, uh, would you have any idea in the NHL what a starting salary was or or, or how they base the salary system there? Uh, well, if Jacob made it to that level, it's a huge bump, Smithy. An ELC, an entry-level contract for a rookie, uh, is three years. And there is a minimum salary. I think it's 750 k You don't normally go much higher than that unless you're a, you know like a first overall pick, second overall pick. Uh, so if he made that jump, he would make good money. AHL is a step down there. As I said, it's the feeder system to the NHL. 
the money is less, definitely. Uh, I, I believe he could still get six figures. It might be more five. But again, I mean, still, you're making a living playing the sport that you love. So, I mean, for a Kiwi to do that, how awesome is that? So how does the draft system work in, in, in the NHL as such? Is there a, a college pathway like there is in a lot, so many other sports where you see uh, in the NBA in particular, most of the, those, and in the NFL, most of those candidates come straight out of the college system as such. Is there that kind of uh, pathway through? There is. I would say less players come out of uh, the NCAA college system for hockey uh, than what you'd see in NFL and basketball. That's the primary feeder for them. You've also got the major junior leagues in Canada uh, that would feed a lot of those players through and then also players that might come from Europe. There's definitely less. You kind of see more college players coming into the league signed as free agents. Uh, Obviously, they're typically a little bit older most uh, players, when they come into the NHL entry draft, they're more like 17, 18, coming out of those major junior systems in, in Canada. Whereas, you know, college players, you know, they'll stick through their, their career, they'll get their degree. They might be more like 22, 23. The top players will then get picked up, they'll get signed as a free agent. Some might go to the draft, uh, and then others go on to play pro careers in, uh, in the likes of Europe or the KHL in Russia. So, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's pathways, but obviously it's kind of uncharted territory for for an Aussie or a Kiwi, really. Fascinating. Okay, thanks for uh, more and more educating us on, on ice hockey and uh, hear that great story of uh, Jacob Radcliffe, who is heading to the SPHL for the Quad City Storm. Exciting move for him. We'll be back very shortly here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, I watched the uh, World Athletics Championships yesterday. The curtain came down on them, and uh, I was just amazed at uh, one performance in particular. I love it all. I mean, I just love track and field and the skills and the speed and the strength that they've all got. But uh, I was watching uh, what was not supposed to be the last event, but it went on so long, it ended up being the last event. Usually they bring the curtain down with the men's and women's 4 by 400 metres relay. Uh, but the men's high jump, uh, sorry, the men's pole vault went on so long, uh, it went past them. And it went on so long because of the brilliance of one Amand Duplantis. Uh, his nickname is Mondo, Mondo Duplantis. He's 22 years of age. Uh, he uh, was outstanding. He's breaking his own pole vault record yesterday in the final act of the 10-day track and field meet. Um, after the, uh, the Americans had claimed victories in both the men's and women's 4 by 400 metres, uh, he took centre stage. He sailed over 6.21, 6 metres 21, to surpass his previous mark of the world record set uh, back in March en route to winning the gold at the World Indoor Champs and complete his collection of medals by claiming a first world title. Now, um, a lot of people back in the day would have thought that the record of Sergei Bubka, who uh, competed for the Soviet Union and the Ukraine, would never get beaten. He broke his own record, world record, 36 times indoor and outdoor. He was an absolute legend of the sport, and everyone thought that that will not be beaten. Well, this guy, uh, this guy is just 22 years of age, tall, lean guy from Sweden, absolutely the right physique for pole vaulting, and when he clears it, he sails over it like no one else does. So keep an eye out for him. Uh, He won't be in the Commonwealth Games, of course, because he hails from Sweden, but in World Athletic Championships coming up, Olympic Games coming up, this guy's going to be around for a long time, barring injury. And he will make an absolute fortune about doing it. 
every time you break a world record, you get $100,000. I'm not sure if you'd break it your own world record all the time, you keep getting 100000 but that was the case at the World Championships for Athletics. Anand Duplantis, one to remember. And the greatest athlete in the world, of course, is uh, the guy they say uh, holds the decathlon title, and that is uh, Kevin Meyer, who represents France. Impressive performances in the pole vault and the javelin late on day two, and that was enough for him to claim uh, the champion athlete uh, award for that. Now then, we have to make a change because of our phone lines are in, are, uh, in a spot of bother at the moment, but we're going through. Some things happen, rain, hail or shine. And that includes Stump Smithy. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to ask you during the news break to text in uh, the word stumped with your name next to it. The third person and the fifth person through. The third person and the fifth person through. will be represented by a staff member from SENS, who's, uh, SENZ, who's going to come in the studio. Come in the studio and personally take me on. Um, so this is going to be, this is something we've just dreamt up because we don't want to not have it. We've got to have it. I don't, it, might be the, it might be the boss, I hope so. Uh, it might be one of the sales staff, I hope so. It could be uh, one of the afternoon crew, I do not know. But it's, uh, it's who I'm taking on. There will be no Google involved. Uh, I will be able to see them, they'll be sitting in the studio. No Google, straight out, off the cuff, general knowledge. Text us on 88.33 and the third person and the fifth person through. Uh, text the word stumped and your names, you will be represented to win the $50 TAB voucher. Simple as that. It's 11.31 here on SENZ in the mornings, and it's time for the news with Araha. This this is what we have to put up with. Uh, we, we had a flood of text, as I mentioned. Uh, Jake is going to be playing for Mark from Christchurch. I think it's Mark from Christchurch. And then Nipia is playing for Chris. So thanks to go everyone, thanks to everyone else that uh, texted in. Smithy, you know the rules. Uh, but we might be flying a little bit on the seat of our pants here a little bit today. So what we're going to do, Nipia, Jake, the first person to put call out your name. If you know, if you, yeah. you know the answer, call out your name. That's your buzzer. If you get it wrong, then it's over to Smithy. And okay. then it's between you two or Smithy who wins. If Smithy wins, same rules apply. We will jackpot tomorrow. So, guys, uh, Smithy, I'm, should we get you to pick the category today? Yeah, I think that's fair, actually. One against two. I think that's very fair if I pick the category today. So what have you got lined up, mate? Uh, we have rugby, boxing, and the Wellington Phoenix. So take your pick, Smithy. Oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. Uh, I know that both of those guys know, guys know nothing about rugby. So, uh, <laughs> oh, come, come on, on Smitty. Come on, Smitty. Oh, steady on. Uh, <laughs> I also know they naff all about the Wellington Phoenix, so that would be a good one for me to go for. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Um, uh, because everyone wants to you know, to be involved here, and it's not a, a rig competition, I'll go rugby. I'll take these guys on at rugby. Okay. All right. We'll take it. Good luck. Given the morning we've had, I literally have come up with these questions on the fly. So good luck to everyone. The Crusaders have named James Marshall to their coaching staff for next season. Which NPC side does he currently coach with? Napier, Taranaki. One of the worst things oh, come on. I have ever seen <laughs> on the field. You jumped the gun, mate. Smithy, over to you. Wellington. One of the worst things I oh, have no. ever seen done on a cricket field. 
I, I think I did. You did. You, you did clearly talk to me were about not listening. Jake. I wasn't really listening. It was like eight thirty in the morning. You know, it was a bit early for me, mate. <laughs> the the correct answer is uh, Tasman Marco. Ah, oh, of course it is. And uh, yeah, Tasman Marco come up on stumped again. Coincidentally, we have the CEO on the show tomorrow. Second question: What year did Rugby Sevens debut at the Commonwealth Games? Jake, go, Jake. You got this, Jack. Come on. 2001. Oh, One of the well, worst that's done, <laughs> Jake. Jake. That is not not even, Jake. That is not even a Commonwealth year. Do you mate? I have no idea. Go back in fours from this year, Jack. From um, 2006. Yes. One of the worst things oh. I've ever seen. He's <laughs> <laughs> so confident with this movie. Absolute chaos. 1998 Kuala Lumpur. Oh, that would have been my oh, one. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fighting words. So. I mean, hey, everything is still on the line for both Mark and Chris. I guess we'll see how we go with uh, the last question here. On this day in 2003. Actually, first of all, were you guys born? I was three years old, Logan. I was one. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, that's good to know. All right. On this day in 2003, the All Blacks put 50 points on the Wallabies in Sydney to win 50-21. to 21. Which All Blacks winger scored a hat-trick that day? What year was it again, Logan? 2003. Napier, Doug Howlett. One of the worst oh, things oh, I've ever seen I really did. Done yeah. on a cricket field. Uh, Dougie Hallett, yes. very, very good guess. Very good guess, but not the right one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, that's pretty good. Which leaves the field wide open for me. Three tries against the Wallabies. Uh, back there, Doug Howlett. Um, no, I don't even know if I've got the right year here. I'm going to go um, Rico Gear. Uh, one of the worst oh. things. I have ever seen you had it there, done Smithy. on yeah. a cricket field. I, I thought you were going to have it there too, Smithy. On that day, 2003 in Sydney at Telstra Stadium, Joe Rokothoko. Oh, of course oh, it was. Joe, oh. smoking Joe. Oh, no, Joe. Oh, Jesus. So, okay, so what happens now? Well, no it, one got one right. <laughs> <laughs> what are these questions like? That's the thing. It's stumped. They're not meant to be yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not getting past one. Mm, okay, I'm, I'm going to throw one at all of you. This is going to be one of the Wellington Phoenix questions, and gosh, I hope one of you get this right. Uh, the Wellington Phoenix lost their, this is the women's team, lost their top goal scorer from last year's season. Which Aussie club has Grace Jarley signed with for next season? I don't, I I'm out of ideas yeah, here. I'm out uh, of ideas. I don't know if the same. I don't know if the A League like men's and A League women's is the same. They're the same team names, um, but I'm just going to throw it in there, Jake. Uh, Melbourne Victory. Great taking the initiative on that. One of the worst things <laughs> I've ever seen done on a cricket field. I will say we're getting outside interference here from the <laughs> sales still team. Got it wrong. Uh, still so got I it hope wrong. you can't hear that, Smithy. Uh, up to you, mate. Up to you. Do you know the Do you New- know the answer? Newcastle. One of the worst oh. things I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, we're going to double overtime here. All right. 
Jonathan Gould has returned to the Wellington Phoenix men's side as their goalkeeper coach. In what year did Jonathan's first stint with the club begin? Well, I'll jump in here. Napier, he started in 2004, Logan. <laughs> One of the worst things I've ever seen. Done Sorry. This is getting painful. <laughs> Smithy. I, I know his stint finished in 2015 because um, he, he was at seven years, I think, since he last coached them. Question is, how long was he there? Mm. I think he was there three years, which means I think he started in 2013. One of the worst things oh, I have ever seen geez. done on a cricket field. Can't get it done. Right. Also, that was his second stint, Smithy. Uh, question was for his his first stint. Um, okay, I'm going to throw a boxing question at you guys. I know, Nipian, you know, you know yeah. a little bit about combat sports. Here we go. The great Muhammad Ali ended his pro career with 56 wins and five losses. Who was the first man to beat Muhammad Ali? Come on, Nipian. Nipian. I want to say Joe Frazier. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, Get in the way. <laughs> yes, boy. Yes, boy. Smithy, we got there. That's all I can say. Uh, so, who, Nipia represented who? Honestly, in the I chaos. I was with Mark? Yeah, we'll go off Mark. Yeah, I was yeah. With Mark. The, okay. We might have to check the video replay yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> go back to the team, I'm sick. I'm sick. I feel. I, I'm sick to the stomach. I, I, I can't. Learn. I could not beat either of those two muppets. I'm sick. I'm gutted. Um, I'm taking a, a, a break now. We're going to take a break and come back with uh, Mount Rushmore. You two guys. I mean, Neeps, you'll do nothing this afternoon because the phones are jacked. So you've got nothing to do. But go and read a book. Go and read a book on the Phoenix. That'll be a good idea. And Jake, you're pathetic. The Canterbury Bulldogs on Sunday. This is just extraordinary. And Paul Kent and uh, Michael Kerianis, of course, on NRL 360, had their views on it. They're, they've got, they've been in free fall for most of this year. There, there has to be a, a, a massive cultural shift somewhere along the line. It starts with this today. A dead set starts with saying, you know what, mate, we do not want you here anymore. Mm. And, and it's unfortunate that it is for Proctor. Dumb mistake, but, mate, come on. Like, what gets in a guy's head that he thinks it's a good idea... To film himself vaping at halftime while his team's out getting flogged on the field. And Canterbury. Who's a senior player? He's been around the game for a long time. He's, he's not a rookie. He's got a rap sheet on him now, Kevin Proctor. Mm. He, he's been a terrible buy for Gold Coast. Arrived on a huge money. I think he, his only finals appearance was last year in, in that one match that mm. they played. So, unhappy stint. Is he done or will he get a start? You were saying he's, he's going to Super He's going to Super League. Yeah, like he's not gonna, who's going to pick yeah. him up here, Brace? Yeah. Like, seriously. So he's off to the Super League, uh, which is, of course, the, the UK version of the NRL. Uh, but, I mean, this is a guy who's had a track record, as they say, of being stupid. Absolutely stupid. Why would you do that? I mean, how would you ever film yourself doing it? What's the benefit of doing that unless you really wanted to be a smart ass and piss people off? Well, you've succeeded in that, Kevin. I've got to say, you have completely succeeded in that to the extent where... I hope they have binge you. I hope you get no more money for it because that is just flying in the face of authority, flying in the face of modern society, really, to do that and think you're being smart in the process of that. I mean, it makes me wonder what he was on before he did that uh, to, to rise to that level of absolute stupidity. So for Kevin Proctor, goodbye from the Gold Coast Titans, goodbye from the NRL. And the sad part about it was when he was actually concentrating on rugby league, he was a fair player. 
a fair player and instantly recognisable with that mop of hair. Everyone would know, you know a Kevin Proctor by the look of him as opposed to uh, his name and his jersey number, etc. Uh, but it's just, a, yet again, just a crazy, crazy thing unfolding out of the NRL. Absolutely amazing. Right, uh, we shall be back uh, with a chat with Staffy uh, for the second time today uh, in around five minutes' time. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.